0: Good morning, Saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO Christ for You Anytime, Anywhere. Today is Monday, October the 4th, and we gather this next hour around the inspired and true Word of God, and we put on our Christ goggles to study Leviticus chapter 17. This is right after on Friday, where we had the powerful words from Pastor Dustin Beck about the Day of Atonement, and it really brought everything together. Um, In my mind, the first 15 chapters, there's a lot of rules and grain offerings and peace offerings and every offering, wave offering, everything you can think of, you're going through all the regulations, leprosy and, and, and other infections and, and how this blood and everything goes around and you're wondering, oh my goodness, how could they keep track? And it all comes together in my mind in the day of atonement where we not only are able to see that day that they atone for the sins of the, of the, of the community, but how could we not also see Christ? Today is a continuation of that as we look at the sacrifices and the blood and the name of the Lord. All of that comes together today where we once again will see Christ in the Old Testament. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information of their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org. lhfmissions.org helping us to be strengthened by God's word. We have the joy of having back with us Reverend Dr. Michael Morehouse of Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona. Pastor Morehouse, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Pastor Finner, thank you very much. Uh, Blessings to you, to the listeners, and to the congregation of Messiah Lutheran, to whom you serve Christ and Him crucified.
0: Yeah, thank you. You know, it's... One of the real joys is the support of the congregation I serve here at Messiah Lutheran. They're just wonderful people. We have a number of them that will listen in, and 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 there was one one guy that said, "Wow, I'm I'm really enjoying all these other guys," and he kind of stopped talking. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, and I'm not looking for you to give me a little pleasantry in this whole thing. It was just kind of fun to know that uh, not only are our listeners around the world being fed by God's word, but even my own people are being fed uh, through different voices that our Lord gifts around the church and around the world. So so thank you for including Messiah. It really is a good, I'm very thankful and, and uh, love the people here. But Pastor, what's going on for you, your family, and the saints at Catalina Lutheran?
1: Well, what we've done is we've transitioned from uh, office and staff uh, vacation time to now office and staff convention time. Mm. Uh, and in addition to all of that, we have all the other realities of congregational life, with Bible studies and uh, sermon preparation. Our vicar is in his certain uh, in his third month, so we started to gear back into or gear into things. Uh, and having the annual vicar transition is always a joy, but it brings its own challenges. And he's doing quite well and. So it was a great opportunity to have this scheduled so that we could talk about Leviticus. One more uh, Old Testament text that goes into my quiver. Um, <laughs> so when I come across it in the congregation, I can use that with the folks. And, I, and it's just a wonderful opportunity. My family's doing wonderful. Just got to see my uh, granddaughter singing her high school choir, uh, spend some time with the littler ones uh, and the rest of the family. Wife's doing fine. Um, she's enjoying her retirement, uh, wondering if I'm ever going to do that, which is not likely anytime soon.
0: <laughs> well, it's been said publicly now, so now we know, um, not anytime soon. <laughs> so well,
1: that's up for the Lord, right? <laughs> that's right. It
0: absolutely is. So a reminder to our listeners, as you hear from our pastors and the churches, for example, Catalina Lutheran Church, they have a vicar, you know, a, a man that is serving what we probably call it an internship in other places where they learn the ins and outs of pastoral ministry without having to what did one pastor say you play pastor without being pastor is that a good way to describe that
1: I don't know that they play so much here they work pretty hard <laughs> that's true that's true <laughs> they but, learn the, the various functions without violating the doctrine of the, of the holy ministry so they go. they can do some visitation they read sermons that I've approved they don't consecrate the elements um and so forth. But it's, it's a joy to watch these men blossom, and uh, it's a real partnership with our seminary. We're on our sixth full time one. We had two uh, summer ones, summer men, uh, which is just like a three month stint way back in the early 2000s. And so it's been a joy, and it's part of the mission of the church to send uh, these men back to seminary for their fourth year and then ask, watch where they go after that, and the Lord calls them. He does this so that his word might go forward, that that the atonement that he gave in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the blood covering that comes from Jesus, isn't just located at the Messiah or Catalina, but is provided wherever God's people gather together as, as God provides them with pastors. And it's a joy for me and for the congregation to support the seminaries in this wonderful work of sending men out into the harvest field
0: so pray for our vicars as they go across the country, come back to seminary their fourth year, and uh, proclaim the word, as you said so well. Not just in our little tiny churches, but it goes beyond all of that. And that's what we're doing here at KFUO, is supplementing the church and the great ministry that happens in our local congregations. So, Pastor, as we search the scriptures this morning, can you begin us in prayer?
1: Sure. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you've shown us through your clear word, the blood covering that was needed to cover over sins, our sins and the sins for all time, for giving a foreshadowing of that of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, pointing towards the ultimate and final sacrifice of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood on the cross to cover over the sins of the whole world, and most especially for those who believe. Send your Holy Spirit upon us this day as we study your word, as we read, mark, learn, and in- inwardly digest it, and carry it into our daily lives to share the treasures and the beauties that are in with those who are around us. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions about Leviticus, I'm talking, uh, you know, on Friday, Day of Atonement. You can go Chapter 15 with Brian Wolfmiller talking about bodily discharges, which is a very upfront but yet grace-filled discussion on what they talked about there and that's something with Leviticus it's very earthy you know there's no way of getting around the the blood and the use of, of of the animals there's no way of getting around the reality that we're unclean and day of atonement brings that to full force as we see in chapter 16 and pastor You said this before our program today, is the reality that 16 and 17 really flow together. So how do you want to begin as we look at chapter 17 in light of the previous chapters?
1: Well, What I'd like to do is put a bottom line up front in saying that Leviticus 17 shows how the blood atonement is then applied to the people corporately, not just individually. That, That the sacrifices need to take place at the right place according to the word of the Lord. As part of the community and not just in their own tents or in their own uh, homes when they end up settling into the promised land. And so the Day of Atonement chapter 16 study talks about all the things that were going on there. Here now we, we drill down into understanding that the life is in the blood and that this is meant to be poured out in right order, in good order, in a way that points to the blood of Jesus which will be poured out for many in terms of history when this was given in the future for us in terms of that which happened long ago but continues to happen as we receive Christ's gifts from his table, at the table of the Lord in various congregations that God gathers his people around that table and they hear his pure word and they receive his sacraments rightly administered. So focus on the life being in the blood and that this being administered and the sacrifices taking place in good order, at the place where God determines that it would be, as part of God's people, but not as just as individuals doing their own thing. In fact, uh, as one studies the minor prophets, and then look, we're finishing, uh, we're going through Ezra and Nehemiah in our Thursday evening Bible Bible study. Um, the people often get into trouble when they decide to take the um, that which God has appointed in do it for themselves without any connection to the community. And this last year and a half has actually shown uh, some of the problems that happens when people do that. And so Leviticus for us, yes, it, it happened a long time ago, but it happened a long time ago to set the stage for that, which is happening in the new Testament or new covenant era. And all of this again is done to show us how unclean people those who are sinners could come before the Holy God, the pure and clean God to receive his blessings. God set up everything. He didn't require or ask his people to come up with their own ways to approach him. He says, this is how you approach me. This is how your sins are covered. This is how you will be received well. And he gave them these uh, this sacrifice of atonement that they might bring forward to him to receive his gifts. Knowing that he they would receive, be received well, as they um, followed the patterns that he established for them.
0: So, as you look at chapter 17, I really like how you saw that emphasis because I have to admit I read this and I didn't quite get that. I, I just overlooked it. And you look at the the body of Christ language in First Corinthians chapter 12. It's so easy, <coughs> excuse me. It's so easy for us to kind of have. An overemphasis, I would say, because obviously, overemphasis of me and Jesus. You know, this is a me and Jesus thing. This is me and Jesus, an individual basis. You know, we have individual confession and absolution, and all of that has its place. At the same time, when we do that at the uh, denial of the community, uh, that that is, is a problem. And obviously, it was a problem then, because, well, I can have my own little sacrifices here on my own, just me and the Lord Yahweh, and I'm good to go. Why is that such a problem to make it over an overemphasis of kind of like me and the Lord or me and Jesus and the body of Christ?
1: What it does is it sets up the individual as almost um, a little God himself or herself, whereas the language of Scripture from the very beginning shows a corporate nature. Uh, the New Testament uses the term body of Christ over and over again and the, a body is made up of many members. Each one has different functions and different uh, gifts within the body, but it's only full in its fullness when the body is joined together. Uh, for example, I do have done some woodworking in ages past. Uh, I was always careful with the table saw, but if I were to cut off my little finger and run off to the hospital and leave the finger around the table, what would happen to the finger?
0: Ah. Um. Ooh, I like that. Okay. But I like if I that. took
1: the finger with me, iced it down, got it back, got to the hospital, they could reattach it and it could be reincorporated into my body, receives the nutrition and the blood and so forth. And it's the same thing with believers. When we go off on our own saying, Well, I can do my own thing and still be with God and not be connected with his congregation somewhere, um, we're endangering ourselves much in the uh, kind of a gross illustration i use but people get yeah, it yeah i get it and uh, yes exactly <laughs> and and the new testament and in, in uh, various texts speaks of not separating um oneself from the assembling together of the saints and in in the new testament text in particular in corinthians when it deals with um the communion is always shown as corporate that when all of you gather together and that's one of the things that uh, I'm sure you reinforce in your teaching, but when we teach the New Testament, we we want to point out that mo- many of the you, especially in these type settings, are all of you, when all of you gather together, when all of you partake, when all of you. Um, and so the idea is that God created his people to be one in Christ, which means they, even in the Old Covenant, were called to be attached to their head, the Lord. And in the Old Covenant, of course, that was done in tabernacle, in the time we're talking about, in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And I guess if you want to drill it down into some, into law, uh, the, this text in Leviticus 17 actually shows that there's no private sacrificial cult that was to exist apart from the Israelite or the nat- national or the collective body of the people cult. So the sacrifices were not to take place in one's home, but to get where they were appointed with the people of God, with the Um, with the appointed means and the priests present, even to the point of including the sojourners, those who were staying among the Israelites who were not yet part of them, they were even included, which then is a foreshadowing of the Gentiles coming into the new covenant um, reception of God's gifts.
0: And this is something that is, you know, we we studied Hebrews before we came to Leviticus. You know, Hebrews 10, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, you know, you can't encourage, well, you can't encourage yourself, but it doesn't work as well. But there's definitely that encouragement, and that's something that, to this point, Leviticus can be seen as an individual book. Don't do this, don't do that, here's a grain offering for you, yeah, you feed the priest, but no big deal. You know, here's a peace offering. Yeah, the meat goes to them, but you know, it's really about me. I mean, just think about how quickly this whole book could become about me and the Lord and the holiness I need to receive and also the, the holiness uh, practices I need to follow. Boy, that can be so easy for us as Christians as well. I love how you brought us back on that. Before we dig in, anything you want to share more to start us off?
1: In terms of anything right you want. Side for all who hear this. <laughs> Christ died for for all people who are hearing this and that Christ raised again to declare them right with the Father and that the blood that was sprinkled on the altar long ago ransomed God's people from impurity and sin just as the blood that is given forth with the body from the Lord's table in our day grants to those who receive it in faith trusting in the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins again, cleansing from impurity and sin.
0: I think... Thanks be to God is all we can say. So let's uh, let's dig into the text here, Pastor. Um, reminder, okay. to, reminder to our listeners, we are uh, reading from the English Standard Version of Leviticus chapter 17. And I think um, I'm just going to do the first four verses and get your thoughts. Uh, we're going to kind of go a little bit slowly through this since we only have 16 verses this morning. And it begins. Okay,
1: one thing before, before you start with that. Uh, some of our members like to know how to uh, divide up the text. They make notes in their Bibles. If you're not writing in your B- Bible, I recommend that people do. Um, but this actually has about five proclamations in it that ring out: um, first in verse three, then verse eight, verse ten, verse thirteen, and verse fifteen. So for those who like to divide up their text in, in part of their study, that's a good way of highlighting verse uh, where the the proclamations about the right use of blood are found. So now let's so, go for it. So
0: say those again, Pastor. Verse 3. Okay, sure. Verse 3, mm-hmm. verse
1: 8, mm-hmm. verse 10, verse 13,
0: and verse 15. Got it. Got it. I will try and if to. You can
1: see my notes right. that I've highlighted in blue, but since you can't, fix the is the you know?
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go through the first four verses, and you can highlight Perfect. what happens in verse 3. Here we go. And the sure. Lord Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as the gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to this man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off among his people. So
1: in this section, we have the Lord speaking to Moses, but then the command goes to Moses, to Aaron, and then to the sons of the of Israel. So this again is speaking of that which is to be declared to the whole community. And in this particular section in verse 2, um, this is the only place where um, Moses is called to speak directly to Aaron until we get to 2218 again in Leviticus. So it's a it's a corporate call through the, the ones who are called to proclaim his word, to administer his gifts in the Old Testament. You were going to say something.
0: Sorry. No, I was just going to ask you what your thoughts were, and that's a good point because right at the beginning – all the major chapters and everything we see, it says the Lord spoke to Moses or the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. And here that's a great distinction from Moses to Aaron, to the sons, to the people. And anything to that? I mean, any thought process of, of why here and not other places?
1: Well, this, this phrase that we're talking about in verse two appears to cover all the data that's going to flow from that, which comes after it all the way to the end of, uh, 21:23. It looks like everything else is included in this super header, if you want to call it. It's more than a superscription. <laughs> it's uh, indicating that it, that it be declared, continue to be declared, and to draw people together. And then it actually declares again that this is what the Lord has commanded. This is not what the preachers, in this case Aaron and his sons, uh, get to make up on their own or give their own opinions about. This is a direct word from the Lord, and they're being called to do this in good order, to follow these instructions in good order, again, for the entire community.
0: Now, as we look at this, the instructions are very, I mean, it's very clear. You know, if you kill an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kill outside the camp and don't bring it in, well, you're going to have a problem. So explain this to us. This is, I mean, this is pretty explicit uh, language he speaks here.
1: Right. And it's speaking in terms of uh, the culture, the cultic realities of, of that era, uh, from some of the research I was able to do and others have done this. So I don't, there's no new things in theology. If there are, (laughs) be very afraid. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) this, uh, speaks of the blood being poured out, um, on the ground. And at the time they believe, and we'll get into it more a little later, that there were various gods that, that were in the wilderness that were appeased by blood offerings that had a fertility connotation. It also had a taking away of wrath connotation. And by God saying, if, if you do this elsewhere and you don't bring it into the offer, into the place where God's appointed, and he's very specific, that, that the, the phrase here uh, that the, the Lord has commanded shows that it is to be brought to the tabernacle for the sacrifice with the and the deposit of blood. Any other place is an offering to the demon. And this, again, will come out a little later in the text. So very specifically, being done in the place where God appointed it to be done.
0: Yeah, there, there is no time when you look at the grain offerings, sin offerings, peace offerings, wave offerings, where the Lord says, and by the way, you can have your own little kit in the woods. You know, so like... Here Correct. is all the offerings in a box that you can do in your own little area. It was always meant to go back. I never thought about that much until you really emphasized that point. And also in chapter fifteen, we talked ex- very, very much so about why follow these uh, sexual uh, holiness laws. Uh, we'll see that again also in eighteen tomorrow. Is not only to be holy in front of God to be to to receive His holiness, but also to separate yourself. From others, other people, other countries, because if you start acting like them, well, you're going to be cut off. So he's very serious in this, and it happens here. If you do this, um, blood guilt will be imputed to that man. I, I, you know, I want to hear this from you too. I want to hear your thoughts on this. When we talk about imputed righteousness, it means that we have a righteousness from God that comes upon us from outside of ourselves into us. Here, I've never quite seen this. Blood guilt will be imputed to that man. This is not good. What is he telling us there
1: the idea is that you the the life being in the blood that the animal's life that was given was being offered if it's not brought to where it needs to be it was actually being offered to the false gods of this world so then that that false offering is then imputed covers over the person that that did the sacrifice that did the slaughtering and so It's like an opposite of the imputed righteousness. It's the imputed guilt of the life of the animal. This is not speaking of you can't eat animals and stuff like that. It's talking about specifically in terms of um, how the blood was to be applied and how it was to be used in right order. Anything else puts you in the land of the pagans. It ends up in a term we call syncretism, and you might want to explain that to folks.
0: Well, um, yeah, now you're now you're bringing it back to me. What is this? I'm supposed to be the host and ask you. Um, <laughs> well, we're having a conversation, brother. I love it. I love the conversation. You know, now I'm trying to. I'm have to take a step back here. I'm thinking about asking you about blood. Now you're getting a syncretism on me. How about how about I throw back at you for a moment and I can add to this? What is syncretism?
1: <laughs> the idea of taking the practices of other religions and putting them right alongside the worship of the one true God. Saying it's okay to do um, uh, worship to Baal or worship to the goat gods, as we're going to find out later, the hairy gods, and still uh, worship the one true God. You know, kind of hedging your bets and uh, blending the two forms of worship as if the worship of the one true God is somehow enhanced. By adding the worship of these other gods, how's that
0: for? That is, that is, you know, that's. You said it much better than I would have off the fly, Um, because there is that reality of syncretism is very, very uh, appealing uh, in our minds. Like you said, it's kind of like a, a life insurance policy. Like, okay, I have, I have my Jesus here, I have my. My Buddha there. I have my Allah there. I have all of that. We kind of combine them together, and obviously, it will come out like a wonderful, a happy meal or something along those lines. As opposed to making sure that you're sticking with the truth, because when you start watering it down, then you're left with nothing. And so, syncretism is very important for us to realize in our own our own context in America at this time. But even then, we might think that you know the people in Israel like they didn't have those issues. Well, guess what? They're living in a sinful world like you and I. And therefore, they had to make sure they were distinct in what they confessed, how they confessed, and not adding other religious thoughts of other gods, small g, because that would just lead. And the devil loves that. When we're able to confuse what the truth is, then everyone's in chaos. And the devil loves that. But the Lord is a Lord of order. So, Pastor, we're going to have to take our, take our break right now. Um, we are studying Leviticus chapter 17 with Pastor Michael Morehouse, and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Welcome back. We are studying Leviticus chapter 17 with Pastor Michael Morehouse of Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona. And Pastor, I'm, I'm still recovering after uh, you asked me a question. Now I'm, how am I scared for the rest of our time? Am I going to have to answer more <laughs> questions with us here? But it's, it's wonderful. Thank you for that challenge. As we look at our first four <laughs> verses, like you said uh, so well, is that there's a there's a rule, and this rule is done for our good, so that the confession of faith is done well. That really that we don't have extra idols, because if you think that my sacrifice over here on my own is just as good as a sacrifice before the Lord, then you are in essence, like you said at the beginning, you're thinking of yourself as a, a little god of some sort or an idol, exactly. your own idol. So that is that is exactly. very yeah. So any other thoughts on that before we move on in the text?
1: Yeah, it'll end this section on the law, but it actually the end of the verse 4 shows that the pouring of the blood any place other than the tab- tabernacle is equated from parallel text with a capital crime. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be cut off from the people. And so this came with, while it was meant to give covering over of sin, when it was meant to be a, an offering to bring benefits to the people, when it was offered incorrectly, it brought with it condemnation and casting out from the community.
0: Interesting. Oh my. There's a lot of language here that almost goes counter what we're used to. But it, and and, and, you know, the reality is Leviticus, we can all have a tendency to just plow through this. Ooh, day of atonement. That was really good. We get to chapter 18 and we're talking about marriage and sexual practices. We want to get into that in our culture, but then I admit it, 17 is one of those I have not slowed down to read. And right now the community is everything. Pastor, anything else before I move on to the next few verses?
1: No, we probably
0: had to move on. We could spend hours on that. <laughs> exactly. So we'll go five, and I'm going to go all the way to through verse nine. Okay, this very good. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priests at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. For they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they rehor. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, Any one of the house of Israel, or the strangers who sojourn among them, who offer a burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people.
1: There's a reinforcement of the being cut off. Here now it includes the uh, sojourners, those who are staying among the people but that are not Israelites by birth. And this section here that you just read, Pastor Fenner, sums up the reason why this command was given and why the decree was established. And the idea is that um, it is to be done and brought forward to the door of the Ten of Meeting, and then, of course, given to the um, the priest as peace offering. And again, um, I mentioned a little earlier, the, the blood was poured out upon the earth by pagans in order to appease the spirits. And it's in this section where you get the goat gods or satyrs or the hairy demons, um, otherwise known as earth Uh, spirits uh, that that the people around them were used to would be used to sacrificing to and so again god is a jealous god he accepts no worship any other gods. Uh, the first commandment you shall have no other gods before me here it's now being laid out exactly how this plays out in terms of giving one sacrifices and offerings. paul picks up on this kind of um uh, reality in the new testament in first Corinthians 10, uh, verses 20 through 21, for those who are looking at it, 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 21. I simply would that uh, what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Uh, so, in terms of the section where Paul is uh, giving instructions and correction on the administration of the sacrament of the altar in the New Testament, he takes it back to the concept of. Sacrifice is offered to anybody but the one true God, or anything but the one true God is a sacrifice to demons. So again, this um, covenant establishment in, in the atonement in Leviticus chapter 17 makes that clear. And then, of course, in verse 7, it says, it shall be a statute for you for generations. Mm-hmm. So this this is meant to be an enduring um, statute that we don't uh, pour out the blood, Gives the blood of atonement to um, pagan gods and then to the one true God and by the, citing the text I did from First Corinthians ten First Corinthians ten it shows that it it still re- applies one cannot sacrifice uh, one cannot worship the one true God alongside worshiping other gods and be received by God be declared holy by God because you can't hedge your bet.
0: And as we look at this, there's another connection I think in First Corinthians ten is that reality of he warns against idolatry. And then he points it to that um, reality of communion being a participation in the body of Christ. That we're not communing, bringing it back to us, and blood. The body and blood we receive is not just about me and Jesus. You know, am I right with Jesus? But it's, as it says, that the bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ. One bread, we are many of one body, for all partake in one bread. That's 1 Corinthians 10 verses 16 and 17. So there not only is that very clear-cut warning against idolatry, but also a warning of, you know, idolatry and doing things alone are closely connected. And that's exactly what the Lord is connecting us to in uh, Leviticus. Other thoughts?
1: Uh, One of the, as you were saying, that thought came to my mind, something I've been teaching for a while because I plagiarized it from somebody, (laughs) that we have a uh, vertical dimension in communion, and a horizontal dimension, Uh, us, the the communicant with the Lord, most certainly, but the communicant then with all those who are gathered around the Lord's altar. And that's New Covenant, but here we're seeing it in the Old Covenant. We're seeing in the Old Testament um, atonement rite that, yes, the man takes the offering to the the door of the Tent of Meeting, but it's done there because that's where the people are gathered. So you have the vertical uh, dimension where the peace offering is accepted, where his, the atonement is declared for him, but it's also for him as part of the people. So it appears that the God of the Old Testament, again, is the same as the, as the God of the New Testament, in that he wants his people joined together in community, receiving his gifts and um, blessing them from that communal participation in that which he has established, God has established.
0: I want to highlight this one more thing, is I, I'm hearing i am hearing a, uh, I guess, a complaint box in, the first, in, in, this, in, this, in this time range of Leviticus, and it kind of goes something like this. You know, why do I need to make a sacrifice and bring the meat to you? Now, when you look at the uh, first seven chapters, and it talks about all the offerings, it's not like they bring the sheep, and they just throw it at the priest and say, here you go. There is a participation of the people, you know, to sacrifice it and do certain things. And then there's a participation of the priest. So it isn't like, you know, um, I just throw it at the priest and they take care of it all. No, there's, there's a both and relationship there. But I could see this, this argument and saying, well, why are, you, why are we doing this? I could just do my own sacrifice by myself. All you guys really want is for this peace offering to feed those priests, and that's all they want. That's all they want from me is my calf. That's all they want. (laughs) And so, you know, I'm I'm, I'm predicting an argument here. Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, the text itself makes it very clear that that this is a participation that that expresses a um, communal action that is with the man, with the priest, with the body of Christ, Throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we have people, when they assemble in the presence of the Lord, you can think of when the 72 are taken up on the mountain, they ate and they drank in the presence of the Lord. We have, if you want to make a stretch, because there's no thus, thus says the Lord, Cain and Abel sacrifices uh, the fruit of the land and, and the fruit uh, from the from the flock. Um, God doesn't need food from us. The, everything is his. So when we give these things, we're called to give these things Old testament New testament in trust that God will replace them they are to show us they show us to ourselves our trust in god providing that which is needed to replace these things and in terms of that which is participated in that God wants us to have these wonderful gifts and wants us to share them with one another
0: so as we look at this um, once again there's a threat of being cut off from his people. So this, I would hope that these first nine verses, as they were heard by God's people and from us, it kind of perks our ears a little bit because I don't want to do that or the implications are too strong. No, Not too much, too strong. The implications are not good. I'll just say it that way. As we look at the first nine verses, Pastor, is there anything else you want to highlight before we move on?
1: I think that we've covered it pretty well. We want to make sure we get into the... uh the rest of the section because there's quite a bit of material there to cover yet. And the
0: clock is ticking. It is. It is. Let's keep moving forward. I will just I'll go slowly through this 10 through 12. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against the person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I've said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood. Neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Well, it's pretty straightforward, but it seems like like for us today, if we were to tell people, don't eat blood in your meat... Most people would say, "Well, who does that?" I mean, that's kind of like weird, Uncle Uncle George that did that or something. But th- there's a bigger meaning here. What's what's going on here?
1: So eleven kind of centers that for us in terms of what the blood is being tied to. That is that the blood is the soul or the life, and that God is the one has given it. So God is the one who's given the flesh, given and in, in which the blood is. The blood contains the life. God has given the life, and he gave, gave it to them for the use on the altar for a covering over of sin, that is, for atonement for the souls. And you've got, uh, you've got to play this word for, um, I'm going to digress a little bit here, for uh, life it can also be translated soul or life force. Uh, this word, uh, if I pronounce it right, it's fine. If not, God will forgive me. It's used nine times, nefesh. And it's used particularly throughout this particular verse, again, declaring that because of Adam's sin, which brought death into the world, um, perfect justice declares that, that death needs to take place. When you have a substitutionary death, which is the case of the animal sacrifice, that soul or life of the animal God accepts for the soul or life of the one offering the sacrifice. So central thinking here is that um, where this offering takes place in the order that it is that God accepts it so that the person uh, does not die in his or her sin and that's the purpose of giving the offering but even the offering itself is given by God which is an answer to your question earlier you know all you want is the uh, the meat from this or in the New Testament all you want is my offering well who do you think gave it to you?
0: Right. Right. To
1: whom does everything you have really belong? It's all a gift of God for you. Yes, you work. He who won't work should not eat. The scriptures are pretty clear there. But it is through the work God has chosen through those means to provide for your daily sustenance. And so by saying it's mine, again, are we actually in the place of God? Is, is it really ours? And that's where the substitutionary atonement comes to place. It's really God He gives it to you, sacrifice it, and then in in the trust that he will replace it. And uh, consistently throughout the scriptures and actually throughout our lives we see where he has done that. We can see where he has done that.
0: And that just points us to that reality of we try to sneak ourselves into this, you know, where we're we're we're, we're like, "Hey, um why well, can do my own sacrifice over here?" and, and kind of separate it from God. <laughs> and we talk about blood, why, you know, well, I can, I can still drink blood. It doesn't have that many impurities. You know, I can still do this. It's not a big deal. And here he brings it back to life, not only the life of the animal, but the new life that you receive in it. So the question is, why would you not follow these laws? Because this is where life is. Separation from God is not life. That is death. Um, separation from him yeah. is not what we want. We want you know, so why not follow what he has commanded, especially when it brings life? Other thoughts?
1: Yes, and that applies both in the Old and New Testament. Hebrews seems to take up this particular section in chapter 9. I'm referring to verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Taking that then into the New Testament, without the shedding of Christ's blood into death, there's no forgiveness of sin. So again, God provided the sacrifice. God provided the blood. God gives the forgiveness from that. Why would we not want to avail ourselves of that which God has provided for us? We don't have to create our own ways to appease God's wrath. He's given us everything we need to take care of that Old Testament and New Testament.
0: And so this is a good reminder for us of the seriousness of following God's word. And I think about this in our world today because we always are kind of like, well, if I have, if I, what's the big deal if I don't do this? What's the big deal if I you know, if I do do this? And we kind of base it upon kind of a 70-30 um, like type thing. Well, if I do this, a 70% chance it's not going to go well, or a 30% chance, or whatever it might be. This one's pretty clear, and it goes into salvation's sake. You know, If you follow Christ and believe in Christ and his forgiveness, like you said, for the world, which means also for you, 100% chance of, of forgiveness, life, and salvation. To not have that is... Zero percent chance. So this is pretty clear and pretty obvious, but yet not always followed um, by God's people. So any thoughts on that? How how this what he's how he's speaking now relates for us today? Anything more on that?
1: Well, all of what you had uh, to summarize what you have said here in terms of uh, biblical thinking, it all goes back to um, in the garden um, when the temptation was: Did God really say? And when people of the old covenant, now that they're being given the law here in Leviticus 17 and the new covenant, when, they, when they're given the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they're given the sacraments, baptism, the Lord's Supper, holy absolution, whatever else you want to remember there. Those are the, God has established them for themselves to say, I'm going to do it differently is to actually be testing God or tempting God. Did God really say, and here he's calling his people to hold fast to that, which, He wants to give them. And and we miss this when we start uh, at times when we look through the law section. God wants to give forgiveness. He wants to give grace. He wants to give mercy. But people, on the other hand, say, well, but I'd like it on my turn. Or I'd like to help you with that. Because, again, it goes back to did God really say? And this actually came to a head in the New Testament in the early in the early days, as the Gentiles were being incorporated in, which they're clearly incorporated in, the, in this Leviticus 17, those sojourners, um, as the council met in Jerusalem, um, talking about Acts 15, 19, and 20, where James um, speaks as to what um, the would be necessary for the Gentiles to come in, and he doesn't claim for them to have circumcision, but rather abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled and from blood okay so again in an environment in the first century a.d as as the i mean in the yeah in the first century a.d as the animals are being um, i mean as the lord's supper is being established the gentiles are coming in what do we ask them to do we ask them not to participate in pagan rituals because everything that is named in Acts 15 was a part of the, the pagan rituals that were going on to pagan gods around them and if they were to do that and participate in the Lord's Supper, they'd be essentially communing with demons and then trying to commune with the Lord.
0: And so, Pastor, as we look at the rest of this uh, text, it's, it's it, it really is a reminder of, it's, it's easy for any of us to kind of interpret what I'm saying, and maybe maybe in my heart I am doing this, where is that reality where we say, this is those people you know, that they're the ones who have their hard hearts, but the reality is I want to do it on my own too. You know, I want the credit for when people have salvation. I want to act like I'm always ready to go and receive the gifts that the Lord has to give, and that's why verse 11 I think is so powerful for me, is for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and that's a, that's a good statement, and, and and then it says, and And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. That he is saying, Here it is. What say it again? I have given
1: it for all of you.
0: Right, right. And how could we not see the Lord's Supper in the connection here? Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I. Uh, I obviously do see the Lord's Supper in it, and I think that's a key (laughs) verse. I think we should move to the end, and maybe we can pick up some points as 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 the Lord provides us with time.
0: Awesome, awesome. We'll keep moving forward. Just an emphasis that I have. We have about ten minutes left in our time here. Just an emphasis of a reminder that the gifts are there. You know how how we don't have to go searching for it. We don't have to go searching in the heart. Um, There it is. He's given it to you. It's a gift. He's given it to you on the altar. It's right there for atonement. It isn't like the people then would have had to ask, I wonder where atonement is. You know, I wonder where this is. But it's right there in front of us. So let's keep moving forward. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, and we'll be able to really dig into some other themes that I know you have based on this whole chapter put together. 13 till the end. Anyone also of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, Who take in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself, or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. Pretty strong words at the end here, Pastor. What do we have?
1: So again, it's uh, reminding the people that they are a holy people. And since they're a holy people and since God has already given them his commands in the earlier chapters about what to eat and what not to eat and what uh, transpires when you eat flesh torn from beasts and so forth. He's reminding them that a holy people should remain uh, apart from these things. Since all Israelites were holy, they were not allowed to eat meat from an animal torn by with animals or from, from carrion. And Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 14 would be the references for that. And, and so, again, he's speaking, again, tying the life of the animal, which is being offered for the life of the one giving the sacrifice, that he, it should it happen in the field, make sure you bury it, you cover it up, because, I mean, people are going to go hunting, you bury it, because you don't want the meat to spoil before you bring it into the temple, but bury it, don't leave it out there as an offering for the for the gods, the, the goat gods of the land don't don't leave any impression that that is, being, that, is being, that is taking place. And again you have this connection with the blood and the life it goes back and forth, soul, blood, soul life, soul, blood, soul life uh, throughout this, this entire ending section here. again speaking of that which God has given for his people that which he would like them to have and that he provides for them, but to do it in the right order so that it shows they know the actual giver of the gift. Even the hunter, um, today we say, well, I was lucky I got an elf or whatever. You weren't lucky. God provided that animal at the right place for your weapon to work the right way, for the trajectory of the bullet to go the right way. We don't think of it that way. We think of it in terms of our skill. But it is God allowing us to have those skills and gifts that would allow us to take that animal down, saying within the Old Covenant. Um, the skills were given to them by God, and they were to then offer it, uh, the portions they were to offer in accordance with, the God, with God's word, recognizing the giver of his gifts of the gifts.
0: And that's a good reminder for all of us, and, and you've hit this numerous times, is that reality that everything we have is from the Lord, but it doesn't mean that we can use it however we wish. You know, we live in freedom, we might say, in our own hearts. I know I do. I can do whatever I want with this. But God's very clear. What are these sacrifices supposed to do? They're supposed to bring atonement. Here's how the atonement comes. It's not like it was a complicated situation or there was any confusion of what he was trying to tell them. There it is. And that's and good for us to remember that all of this is a gift. And how can we use it in thanksgiving for what he's done for us in Christ to his glory and for the sake of our neighbor? So, Pastor, as we, there's a lot of different themes. How would, as we look at about five minutes left in our time, how would you pull this all back together and how we look at it for today?
1: Well, I would look at it in terms of God giving His Word, calling His people to hear His Word, calling His people to follow His Word, showing what happens when they don't follow His Word, showing that it is His will to give them forgiveness for those times, And that he wants them, he wants us, to receive his gifts. All of this, again, showing how an unclean people can come before the clean God or the pure God to receive his blessing. For us in the New Covenant era, we come forward uh, before him, having been washed with the water and word of holy baptism. That is, declared clean, having Christ's righteousness, his declaration of being right with the Father, imputed covering over us as we come forward. And then uh, we have a reminder of that as we hear the words of absolution after we confess our sins, we're taken back to our baptism, where again we're declared right with God. We approach his table then to receive from the final sacrifice, Christ crucified, died, risen, and ascended, his very body and blood given to us for the forgiveness of sins. Um, there is a uh, New Testament reality here. Jesus speaks of this in John 6, which isn't a direct communion statement, but in terms of the word and how the word is used, we might hear it this way. Jesus in John 6:53, truly, truly, I say to you, that is all of you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So Christ, in speaking to the people for whom he had given a miraculous feeding from the manna, or from the uh, multiplication of loaves and fish in a, which was for, shadowed by the manna, is declaring that again the sacrifice that which is given that which is needed, God Himself provides and it comes to us through the Word, who is Jesus, who provides then in the New Covenant era His very body and blood for us to eat and drink, for the forgiveness of sins, and for strengthening it to life everlasting. That's probably the longest summary I've ever given.
0: Well, and I and I yeah, yeah, I I, wouldn't, I don't know if that'd be true. I do <laughs> have to call your own congregation members to find that out exactly. <laughs> well, but, uh, several,
1: <laughs> several of them will be listening to this. They'll tell me
0: whether it was right or not. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. So, so for you, our listeners uh, from Catalina Lutheran Church, if that was the longest summary he's ever given, then column on it i i kind of doubt it us <laughs> pastors tend to speak longer than that but anyways we have about yeah,
1: well, they, pass, they, they pass this talk
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> proclaim i'll say i'll say proclaim yeah that's right so that's right. <laughs> as we look at this it is very clear as you said from the day of atonement to chapter 17 that this points us to christ as someone reads this. um Pastor, how would you encourage them in Christ with these words? And I and I wanna I want to say this with this caveat. We have about a minute left now, Pastor. Is we are adamant that we can see Jesus throughout the scriptures. Why is that important when we read something like chapter 17? And what does it mean for people? This time you have a minute.
1: <laughs> so Christ is the center and the root of all the texts that are found in the Holy Scriptures. Christ is God's gift to sinning people, to bring forgiveness to them. When we see Leviticus 17, we see a foreshadowing of that which Christ came to do, which was to be the perfect sacrifice offered at the place where God determined it would be, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. We think of the tearing of the temple veil and Christ's death. Pour it out for the forgiveness of sins so that God's people, whenever they are faced with their own sins, which is the whole purpose of this sacrificial system, can receive with other sinners God's grace in the gifts that he has given through his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood of the old covenant points to the blood of the new covenant. That is, the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us, shed for you, for the forgiveness of all of your sins.
0: Pastor Michael Morehouse of Catalina Lutheran Church in Tucson, Arizona, giving us God's strong word today from Leviticus chapter 17. Pastor Morehouse, thank you again for the gifts.
1: Thank you, Pastor Finner, and thank you to the Congregation of Messiah Lutheran who allows you to do this because your call is to them, and uh, who participate with you and uh, listen and uh, provide oversight to you as you do this service to the church at large and to the to the people
0: around the world. Saints of our Lord, we are unclean, and we see of the Day of Atonement where we become clean. And in chapter 17, we realize this is not something we do alone. This is part of the body of people, not to do on our own little do-it-yourself box in the wilderness. No, that's what other people do. What we have is Christ for you in the right place, on a cross, with an empty tomb, for you in the body and blood of Christ. All this we are given by our Lord, what he's given to us every single day, which is forgiveness by his blood. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.